I'm Aaron Schoenfeld, and you're listening to The Sound of the Loons. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson and if i can call you betty then betty when you call me you can call me cal on the docket today we'll be going over the team's performances against fc cincinnati and nashville sc two teams i am forever going to have a hard time remembering which one is which uh, as well as looking at the upcoming game against our old friends fc dallas but first we wanted to take a moment and give a shout out to the presenting partners for our 2020 season Allianz, Alina Health, Bell Bank, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota, Federated Insurance, and M Health Fairview. We really want to thank those sponsors for sticking with us throughout this weird and wild season. To learn more about any of our partners, you can visit mnufc.com slash club slash partners. Cal, we're just going to get right into it. I don't have any other dithering about to do, so we're just going to start talking about FC Cincinnati. Um, my, my opening statement about the game against FC Cincinnati is that I had to go read my own recap to really remember what happened in this game, which was less than a week ago, which is about where I'm at as far as following games, I think. Yeah. Um, about 10 seconds ago, I just had a mild panic because I thought, oh, that's right, we played FC Cincinnati, didn't we, as well? Um, I can't remember <laughs> much either. Um, yeah. No, look, I mean, I, I think Adrian Heath hit the nail on the head, really, um, in terms of the Cincinnati game. And uh, I think satisfactory is probably the best way to view it because it wasn't a particularly pleasant performance. It was okay. Um, but the simple fact of the matter is that they got the win that they needed to get. Um, I think anything less than, than a win would have been unacceptable, especially at Allianz Field. Um, so they went and got the victory that they needed. I, I thought Cincinnati looked okay. They looked a lot better than what they thought they would. And um, I think Yapstan deserves a bit of credit for that because he, he, he adopted a brave approach coming to Allianz Field and playing a 4-3-3. It's a formation that he wants to play a lot more of. Um, and essentially, he insinuated several weeks ago that, that it is the long-term plan for Cincinnati to do that. But they just, in, in his own words, um, they, they simply don't have the players to do it. So I, I thought uh, it was quite brave of him to do it at Allianz Field of all places. But I thought, I thought they looked quite good. Um, I thought uh, it was just obvious that they're, they're lacking a bit, of, um, a bit of, of sharpness in the final third, much, um, much to the, the same um, issues that, that Minnesota have right now, in my opinion, um, over the last two games. But, um, you know, Locardia, I thought, just looked so short on confidence. You know, this is a, a, an individual that Brighton and Hove Albion paid near $21 million for um, from PSV Eindhoven not too long ago. And, and I just thought he, he looked so short of confidence. Um, and uh, Kubo was trying to get himself back involved. But, you know, I thought ultimately, I thought the backline stood about as firm as they ever have done. I thought Boxall was near flawless again. I thought Debassi gave another good account of himself. Um, and uh, look, it was a good performance, Steve. And, and um, the, the main thing is, is that they, they got what they needed. Um, but it's probably not going to be a performance that lives in the memory for too long. Yeah, I was, I was also I was surprised that FC Cincinnati didn't, didn't sort of bunker out of the gate. I think that was the thing we had talked about. And I think they, 
they had more or less done that maybe in their last game um, where they had played maybe a three-man back line, I think, or something like that, where they had come out very defensive. Mm. Against um, against NYCFC, Steve, they've gone with a five-man back line. Yeah, and, right. And okay. prior to them coming to Minnesota, they'd gone the previous 11 with a five-man back line. So that's why I was quite surprised when I saw the yeah. 4-3-3 formation. Yeah, so I sort of was expecting that that bunker, and we've talked about it before at Allianz Field, um, and that you see teams getting a little more conservative now uh, playing there. But uh, but it was fun. I mean, I'm, I was glad because they looked pretty spry. They were willing to you know press high and 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 push forward. Uh, you know, the game in the opening minute sort of had a, a back and forth feel. Um, I wanted to. I thought that. So Chase Gasper drew that uh, penalty uh, early on in the game, which was a, which was a big difference. I think playing a goal up on Cincinnati is a huge difference. I mean, I remember Minnesota United's early, you know, like inaugural season say, if, if you fell behind by a goal, it just felt like we're not going to get back up in it because it was just, there wasn't enough sharpness. There wasn't enough sort of focused aggression and sort of all of that stuff to get it going. So it's one of those things that scoring a goal against a team that is not a front foot playing team is, is great. And so uh, Chase had a great, I thought an interesting comment about drawing that penalty kick. I went back and looked at the highlight too. So here's after the game, he said, um, we've been really focusing this week on uh, defensive pressure or attacking pressure. He sort of couldn't decide which one he wanted to call it. Um, But the idea is he said is when we have the ball and we're attacking, you get on your guy and stay tight. So even if we do lose the ball, we're pressing them in basically their own box. And so, you know, they panic and it just worked out. And that's, you can see that sort of happening. And it's an interesting idea that your your press begins even while you still have the ball. I mean, I know this is a principle that teams like Red Bulls have, have, have put into practice um, in the past, but that you can see that Chase was almost, rather than looking for space, he's almost looking to guard the next guy, like his man. And then when the ball sort of comes off of Reynoso, he's just there to go for it. And he gets there first and he gets that that call. And that's one of those things that I found. I had never thought about that sort of that's sort of a fourth dimensional chess way of thinking about how you execute that press. And it was cool to hear him uh, talk about that. Yeah, it, it, it's a modern day fullback, Steve. It's either overlapping or underlapping. And and I thought um, Chase Gasper is, you know, he's, he's obviously proven he can do it. And I, and I thought he was um, was able to, to execute it well against Cincinnati. And, you know, obviously drew the, the penalty. And, and I must admit, Steve, when, when I first saw the, the challenge, I thought, well, it's a, it's a heavy challenge. It wasn't until we saw the replay when I realized how bad it was. And, and for me, I'm still quite surprised that a red card wasn't drawn because it, it, it is essentially over the ball. It's, it's above the ankle, the challenges from, from De Plania. Um, and we've seen a lot less punished, a lot worse. Um, and I, I was just quite surprised after the, the referee went to, to view it and everything um, through the monitor. I was quite surprised. It's a penalty. It's a stonewall penalty. Uh, there's no doubt about that. No debate to be had there. But I, I just wondered if, if it did warrant further punishment. Um, but either way, look, it, Minnesota didn't need Cincinnati to go down to 10 men because they were, at that stage, they were, they were bossing the game in the final third. They were causing problems. Cincinnati were, were forced to sit deeper than, than probably what they would have wanted to. Um, but it was, uh, a, a, you know, there's, there's no uh, malice, there's no ill will in, in Matthew Diplomier's challenge, but it's just m- grossly mistimed. Um, and Gasper is so fortunate that there's not just even 
just a, a little bit more force in a challenge because if there is Steve, I, I, I think Gasper's was breaking his ankle there. You know, I, yeah. I really, I was quite surprised when Gasper was able to get up and continue. I know there was a bit of blood drawn, um, and and actually, you know, because Gasper got the yellow card in that game, it meant he he missed the, the game against Nashville. I actually think it's probably a blessing in disguise because I bet you there was a fair bit of bruising on the ankle after that, and it gave Gasper a game off and, and time to recover efficiently. Right. I actually I had forgotten that Gasper had accumulation, which is why he wasn't playing the last game. This is this goes to show it's so hard to keep track of what's going. I was like, he could also probably use a rest <laughs> at this point, given the number of games that he's started. We'll get to 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 Baki Debasi's, uh game at, at left back as well. Um, let, let's stay on this game for a little bit longer. Um, I wanted to talk about because I think one of the major things that happened in the game, obviously, was Kevin Molino coming in um, and and scoring that goal coming back from the injury. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the formation thing because we always talk about formations, and I have some some qualifications to talking about that. I have some quali- qualifications to talk about this discussion we're about to start about substitutions because this has sort of become the new thing that uh, Adrian Heath likes to complain about at at press conferences because people ask him about his substitutions. Um, before it was the underdog thing that was like in MLS's back that was what everybody loved to harp on. But um, and I think that uh, I want to say up front first of all that. Coaches, I mean, are, you know, made on their beliefs. That is what makes you a, the coach you are. Um, I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily think Adrian Heath should be doing anything uh, differently per se. I'm just interested in the conversation about when to substitute and why it's effective and, and how it can change the game. Um, some coaches obviously are going to use a lot of substitutes. Adrian Heath is on record as saying that he believes he picks the starting 11 because he believes they're going to all go the distance. That's how he, how he chooses. He chooses based on their performance he believes that players drop themselves out of that starting 11 um, and that it's, it's his job simply to put out the best team he can put out and the team he believes is going to go go the distance. And if he sees a team that's creating chances, even if they're not finishing those chances, he wants to give them the opportunity to finish those chances. And so he'll stick with those substitutes. So he sort of generally doesn't necessarily go to the bench early uh, or quickly or profusely uh, in a game. Here's what I wanted to lay on the table because this is something I looked into. Going back to the 4-0 win, against Real Salt Lake. So starting from that game, Minnesota United have scored six second half goals in the run of play. Um, Four of those goals have either been scored or assisted by a sub. So Ja'Cory Hayes was assisted by Raheem Edwards in the 75th minute versus RSL. Both those guys were subs. Robin Lode was assisted by Hassani Dotson against RSL, who was a sub. Although I will say Hassani came on for Ozzy in the 18th minute. So it's not like a sort of the same sort of normal situation. Um, Robin Lode was then assisted by Raheem Edwards against Columbus. And then Kevin Molino came on and scored the goal against FC Cincinnati. So all I'm saying is that I think this maybe points to the fact that I think Adrian, he actually makes really good substitutions when he's called upon to make those substitutions. And that sometimes it doesn't it won't disrupt the flow of the game, but it can instead lift it to another level, which we're going to talk about with Kevin Molino against FC Cincinnati. But I'll make way for your response to that. I, I think as well right now. So, so this has become a thing, is it, Steve? People are talking about substitutions, are they? I only, I think I only know it because I mean, I don't, I don't know how many people are talking about. It. I know it because I have to edit the the, the press conference um, quotes uh, and use them for the recap. And so he sort of gets a question. It seems like every game about the substitutes, and then he says, "I don't know why everyone's so obsessed with substitutes here in America." Which I don't think. I mean, I think I think if you look at the world discourse about soccer and football, people talk about substitutes all the time, every place. So I don't know. I think um, I think as as 
what you've just said, Adrian alluded to, is you, you pick the 11 because you think they're the best available bunch to go and win the game. And, and in a perfect world, they would all go 90 minutes. Um, you know, and, and sometimes you've got players available on the bench that, that can come on and, and cause issues. Um, sometimes there's players that are purposely put on the bench to be brought in later to, to cause issues, you know. Um, you know, I, I thought, uh, what, did, what did he do against Cincinnati, Steve? He, he brought on uh, brought on Marlon Hairston, didn't he? Um, mm-hmm. And and I thought that was the right call at that stage. I can't, I, you, all these games are uh, just seeming like the same game at the moment. Um, <laughs> yes. But I, I can't remember who he came in for, but I thought at the time, I thought, yeah, Marlon Hairston makes sense because he's, he's fresh legs and um, he's uh, a, a relatively fast individual. Um, and uh, it's very different for um, well, it was I can't remember who, who he came on for, but but I, he was a different player. Um, Marlon Hester is a different player from the player that he came on for, from what I remember. Um, but I, I think um, I, I understand Adrian's game management from this point of view. I, I'm slightly torn about this now because because I understand the need for substitutions. I understand um, wanting to bring in fresh legs, new ideas. Um, I, I get that argument. Um, but I also understand the the other point as well, because uh, I saw the quote of of Adrian saying about, you know, you, you don't want to disrupt the, the flow of the game. I understand that. Um, and I thought he was right to to do what he did against FC Cincinnati. Um, because to our knowledge, the, the Cincinnati game, the reason several of these those players weren't used was because they were more than likely going to start the game in Nashville. So it's all about game management. And sure. and I would assume um, skipping ahead a little bit here um, in terms of the, the Nashville situation because there weren't many substitutions um, from what I can remember last night um, again I think Adrian's probably thinking about right well you know Robin Lord, for example didn't play a minute in Nashville he, he travelled but that's because the roster isn't the biggest at the moment and, and you just never know sometimes you might think right okay well maybe he has to come in for a certain player or something um, but but in an ideal world, he wasn't going to play, and and he and he didn't play, because my assumption now is that he's going to go and start against FC Dallas and, and feel a little more refreshed and replenished than what he would do had he have played minutes in Nashville. So, um, I, from my understanding of what the the issue is here, I, I, I'm on the fence. I, I can see both sides of the argument here, Steve. But um, no, I, I I think right now Minnesota as well. We're very fortunate that we have such. Uh, a wide variety of players who do offer very different scenarios, and the roster is about as thick um, as it's been from a from a quality standpoint, not from a, a quantity point of view, but from a quality standpoint, it it, it is the best roster they've had. Um, and maybe Adrian he feels as though that there are certain players that that offer more against certain individuals from from the opposition. Maybe he feels as though. Uh, you know, let's say Ethan Finlay, for example, would, would give um, Daniel Lovitz last night, Daniel Lovitz, uh, a torrid time as opposed to Robin Lurd. Maybe he feels as though Robin Lurd will give, um, I'm assuming Ryan Hollingshead or somebody will start at left back for, for Dallas um, a, a more difficult time than, than Ethan Finlay. And that's why Ethan Finlay went the 90 minutes last night. We, we don't know, ultimately. We don't know. It's me purely speculating. But, but it wouldn't surprise me if that is the, the thought process, you know. And uh, we have to remember um, game management is, is huge now moving forwards um, with, what is it, six games remaining. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to pick and choose your battles very, very carefully. Yeah, I think that the, um, 
I think that point about it's tough too, because sometimes you want, you want to rest guys um, in a normal season. You might want to have a guy off and then come on for just a short shift at the end. But even at this point with this compression, you would imagine that just giving a guy a whole game off could do more than even if you needed to bring him in for a short shift. Like if somebody's really exhausted, you don't want to bring them back in, you know, give them 20 minutes on the pitch and then sort of have to start the whole regeneration process again. You know, he could have been thinking Ethan Finlay coming back from injury. It's, Nashville is going to be an easier matchup on the road than Dallas. You know, like it's an Eastern conference. It's not a, it's not a six point game. It's a, it's a three point game. So if you can get a, a draw, which again, at the last minute, they seem content with like, okay, this is a draw on the road. This is, you know, obviously you want to get a win, but if you're going to, you don't want to risk anything at the end and just allow, you want to allow that to slip a point to slip away because points are going to be valuable going forward. So, um, th- so to transition into the, sort of the formation discussion that goes along with this, which again, I'm going to say I'm a broken record on this. The formation discussion is interesting, but deceptive, sort of like a housewife of Orange County or something, because again, it's a <laughs> concrete thing that, you know, we as observers can talk about because it sort of puts numbers and sort of you can picture it in your head, but it's not always entirely clear, like exactly what the impact of it is. Different teams play different formations in different ways. All that said, Kevin Molino coming in and moving it from a, a 4-3-3 to a 4 2 3 one against FC Cincinnati, it just really seemed to amp up the attack like a whole level. Like it really went, it went from you guys are getting decent looks, but it's not quite finishing to just like chance after chance after chance. And I think it really showed that that, that four, two, three, one is, is great. I also want to give a shout out to Reynoso who's still goalless, but his turn uh, off of Molino's header forward, which led to Molino's goal was incredible. Um, I mean, first of all, props to Molino for getting that up and then taking the run. But Reynoso's ability to sort of turn away from the defense and it just sort of opened that whole left wing that Molino went down and he got him the ball uh, was terrific. So I just thought that, that, again, that's one of those instances where suddenly I was like, oh, well, this, this just amped up the attack to this, this new level with Molino in there. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to seeing Molino and Reynoso develop even further because they look like they are starting to understand each other now, having had uh, a little more time to train together. Um, I would agree with you in the sense that Reynoso just looks on another level, doesn't he? Yeah. And I don't even think he's at 100% yet, Steve, as well. Yeah. I think he's slowly getting there, but um, watching him, it's like stroking silk, isn't it? You know, he just seems to move effortlessly and his passing is wonderful. Um, his little uh, flicks and tricks, his, his trickery has been wonderful to see. Um, he, he's a magnificent player. There's a reason he was playing for Boca Juniors, Steve. You know, he's, he's a very good footballer. Um, for, for me, he's on another level and, and will, um, will really take this club to, to whatever the next level is, um, is deemed acceptable. I, I think he's a top-class player. And he makes players around him better. And he certainly makes Molino better. I yeah. thought Minnesota, just rewinding a little bit, Steve, I thought Minnesota really missed Molino for the home game against Real Salt Lake. Obviously, he was injured. But then, after he was deemed fit enough to be available for the game against Cincinnati in terms of being able to go and play for 30 minutes or so, when he came on, he really made a difference. And I think that one of the things I know is noticed about Molino is, especially when you've got him on that left-hand side, he's tremendous when he cuts in on the right. That's what he tends to do. That's what he's more comfortable doing. But when he's off the ball, you do notice from time to time he stretches the back line quite well because he will peel away from the nearest centre-back and the nearest right-back in this particular situation. He'll peel away. And then as soon as Minnesota do get the ball, that's when he moves inside. Um, and and he's, he's tremendous. Molino is great. A, a fully fit Kevin Molino is still, for me, one of the best attacking midfielders in this league. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he's, he's a threat. He scores goals. He, he creates opportunities. Um, 
and I just am, I'm really excited to see what what both Key and Reynoso can do moving forward because I think they are going to be very good and especially now that that Minnesota have a recognizable goal scorer ahead as well in Kai Kamara. Um, it, it'll take time, and I think this week will be a, will be a good test for them because they've got leading into the game on Sunday they've got a good three days to train, a good solid three days at the very least, because I'm assuming there's an off day in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll help. That'll really help all of them. Um, again, look, we, we don't know what the lineup's going to be for, for Dallas, but knowing that Kamara didn't start, knowing that Lerd didn't start, um, you would assume that they would be heavily involved in the game in Dallas, as you mentioned quite rightly. It's, it's a Western Conference opponent. Um, but moving forward, Steve, it, it's just good to have all these options for Minnesota United. It really is. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing uh, Reynoso. Um, he just needs a goal, doesn't he? He yeah. just needs a goal. He, he does just about everything else. As soon as he scores his first goal for Minnesota, I, I seriously think the floodgates will start to open. I don't expect him to score a, a bucket load of goals. I don't think he's going to be one of those, at least right now, that, that goes and gets, you know, in, in what have we got, seven, six, seven games left. I don't expect him to go and get you know, four goals and four assists. But I, I do expect him to perhaps go and get two or three goals and maybe uh, two or three further assists, you know, because he's, um, he's got the players that, um, that are ahead of him and, and either side of him that, that make the runs that he, that he wants to find, you know. And, and like I said, it's just going to take time for the chemistry to develop. But, um, you know, I, 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 he's one of those players, Reynoso, is that whenever he gets the ball, you just expect something to happen. I'm on the edge of the seat straight away because you just expect something to happen. So we're very fortunate to have him. He, he is um, Minnesota's best player by a country mile. Yeah. Yeah, I think also another thing that's been really impressive about him, and this sort of feeds into my, my next point, is I think his, um, his defensive work rate has been tremendous for, for, an, for an attacking midfielder in that position. And I, a couple of the guys in the team have mentioned that fact that, like, you know, a lot of designated players don't come in expecting to, you know, have to play a whole bunch of defense. But he's really been willing to, to do that work. And uh, sort of the thing I was thinking as we were watching that 4-2-3-1 out there once it moved from the 4-3-3 is that, and this is a theory. I don't know if we're going to see the, the full flowering of this because of the, the compressed schedule and issues with injuries and things like that and, and, and call-ups, which we'll get to in a moment. But I think, you know, on the surface, 4-3-3 seems more defensive than 4-2-3-1. You've got more guys in the midfield. You're sort of trying to match up with another. I mean, it's a matchup thing in a lot of ways, but you're talking about, you know, three midfielders um, playing more centrally versus those three attacking mids with a, with a, uh, a forward up top. But I think that, like, with if you're talking about Reynoso, if you're talking about Molino, Reynoso, and Lud out there as those three, I think Lud and Reynoso's defensive work rate um, and their willingness to press high and everything like that is it's high enough that I think it's just as defensively solid, really, as trying to play a four-three-three at this point. Like, especially if you're adding in you know, Ozzy Alonso when you can't, if you have Alonso and Gregus back there, I think you're like the four, two, three, one can be just as solid defensively for Minnesota United as the four, three, three could be. Um, but maybe we should get into the question of Gregus because that's the next question I have um, since he's going to miss basically the rest of the regular season at this point. Um, and it, I don't know if you have anything to say about my, my four, two, three, one defensive theory. No, in terms of the four, three, three, Steve, it just depends on, on what you're asking of the two eights because the six will sit obviously, but it, it depends on what you're asking of, of the two players around him. Sometimes you, you have, when it is a four, three, three, you've got two sitting and one ahead, but sometimes you can have the two ahead of the six. So it just depends on, on, on the, the situation and the approach really, but four, two, three, one. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it seems like um, more, more of, um, more of an attacking lineup and, and also, as well, 
in in this system as well, you are asked, well, in, in most systems now, you are asked to defend from the front. Because if, if you, I don't think there's, especially in this league now, Steve, I don't think there's any room for luxury players. And what I mean when I say a luxury player, I mean someone who, who has turned up not expecting to, to work and, and, as you mentioned, do the defensive work on, on the defensive side of the ball as well. I don't think this system lends very kindly to those types of players. So it's no surprise to me Reynoso has, has shone in the system. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Jan Rodgers a little bit because, obviously, him um, – you got a call-up to the Slovakia national team. Um, it's pretty huge. He's the team's assist leader, I believe, still. Uh, losing him for six games, I think. And there's maybe se- seven games. You're losing for five or six games, and there's basically seven games left at this point. I think you've missed the last game, so that's eight games from the last game. But, um, I mean, I don't know much about, you know, international competition or how this all works, but it seems to me it's insane to me that they're calling players up into international games right now. It just seems, it just seems totally crazy. I understand Gregish going for the first game because it is a qualifier. It is a very important game for his country to be in the European Championships next year. So I understand that one. The, the next two are the confusing, not, not confusing, because again, I understand it. You want to play for your country, but it, it's the ones that I could see people suggesting, you're okay, you can go back now. But from a Slovakian point of view, they're probably saying, well, you're here. We've got, it's three games in seven days. You're playing for us. Um, and they are games against Scotland and Israel. Um, and they are Nations League games. Now, the Nations League was, was formed last year essentially to make international friendlies more competitive and, and essentially give a, um, uh, a reward out to, to the most competitive team um, on the international stage uh, for winning as many games and, and whatnot. And, and there's various other complications about it. But um, I know there was efforts to try and keep Jan Gregus here. I, I'm not entirely sure. I, I know Jan Gregus wanted to go and play in this qualifying game against the Republic of Ireland, as he should do, because as I said, it's a big game. Um, you know, Slovakia are in and out of major tournaments. Um, one year they're there, one year they're not, you know, so it, it, it's few and far between. He, as a 29-year-old, will think to himself, this may be the last chance I get to play in a major tournament, a major international tournament. So I'm going to go and, and I'm going to make myself a part of, of the roster. Um, but as I said, the Nations League one is, is where it can get a little bit... Um, to the point where I see the club's argument here. But um, it's just one of those things, Steve, because now, because of international travel, so many people are, are, are having issues getting out of the country, getting back into the country. Um, I myself am a little frustrated because what time is it right now? Two o'clock on a Wednesday. I right now should be calling Germany against Turkey for the World Seed. So I should be back in London doing games now. But because of um, COVID and, and what it's done, it's, it's meant I can't do that. And it's, it's, it's caused an issue. It, you know, it's caused a problem for a lot of people. Um, so it's, it's one of those situations where, um, you know, if there is a way around it, then great. But it just doesn't seem like there is a feasible way around it at the moment. Adrian Heath only last week was, was saying that it's, it's not really a feasible option for the club for young Gregors to be missing as many games as he is. But unfortunately, um, from a Minnesotan point of view, it seems as though the, the Slovakian Footballing Federation have had their way and young Gregors will, will be gone now for... for you know, a week to 10 days, and then he'll have to come back and, and quarantine for two weeks, I'm assuming, you know. So um, he's going to miss a lot of football. And, and October for Minnesota is beyond crazy. Seven games in the month of October. It's crazy. Yeah. So it's a real shame. But the one thing that I will say, Steve, from a positive point of view, is that I thought um, 
against Nashville last night, I thought Dotson and Hayes performed very, very well indeed. And I don't foresee a massive issue. If they remain at that standard for the rest of the season, I don't see a massive issue moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice to get Ozzy Alonso back at some point. Um, you know, maybe there's a time where he can come in as well. But it's true. I, I don't feel bad with, with Ja'Cory and, and Hassani out there. Mostly because Ja'Cory gets superpowers from tucking his shirt in. It's a great look. Um, it's fantastic. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about Nashville a little bit since you alluded to that. Um, again, I'm going to have a really hard time with Cincinnati and Nashville coming into the league at the same, sort of around the same time and uh, sort of both being that not inter Miami, not, you know, like not the other glamor franchise. So I'm sure that's how people feel about Minnesota, I guess. But um, I felt that, you know, the overarching statement that Adrian Heath opened with uh, for the post-game press conference just asked about it in general was that this, this was a better performance than a result, which I would, I would definitely agree to. Like he said, you know, as, as we've all said, football is a, it's a funny game. Uh, the team looked better against Nashville and against Cincinnati, but got a point instead of three points. So uh, that was that was seemed evident to me. Also, my main takeaway about Nashville is that the, their defense is the real deal. Like they, their defense looks good, um, and it's heartening to see an expansion team built sort of in that solid way. This is kind of what we expected. I think talking about, you know, Inter hasn't really taken off. Um, they've they've struggled uh, to a certain extent. Uh, you know they have not lived up to the billing of being another LAFC or something like that right out of the gate. Um, but we felt Nashville was going to be solid, if not, you know, sort of uh, spectacular, but that's kind of what we're seeing. The back line is miles ahead of where Minnesota's was at any point <laughs> in the first two years. Uh, they really need a forward. I believe they're going to get one uh, shortly. Uh, Derek Jones as a forward is probably still kicking himself for not finishing off that, that early chance, but that's not really his job. He's a midfielder. So um so they'll they'll need I'm blanking on the guy's name. Who's the the the, the guy they're getting from Portugal? Uh, Yonda Cadiz. Yes, thank you, Cadiz. Though they really, they can really use that. But like you know, they, they, again, they played they played well defensively. I got to give them props for that. Yeah, I agree. I I said um, earlier on uh, yesterday that that I thought the Nashville roster is actually it's actually quite pleasing on the eye. It's for for, for what is expected of an expansion season. Yeah, it's actually quite good. It's much better than Minnesota's was, as, as you've said, Steve. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, the back line's very good. I'm a big fan of, of Lovett. So I think um, there's a reason he's had 11, 12 caps for the national team, for the US national team. Alistair Johnston, the young Canadian, looked really good as well. And I know that I know that was somebody that, that the Minnesotan coaching staff had their eye on going into the draft as well, but obviously because um, of Minnesota finishing so well in the 2019 season, um, they uh, they had to wait for their pick and, and Nashville picked him before, before Minnesota could get to him. Um, and the two centre-halves, um, they, they've played for clubs where there is expectation. Dave Romney had several years at LA Galaxy. Walker Zimmerman had two years with LAFC, who, who, who simply just because of the marketplace, there was expectation on them straight away. You know, So they played under pressure. Um, they've developed a good relationship as well over the, the short time that they played together. I, I thought they looked good. And, and Joe Willis is, is a, a serviceable Major League Soccer goalkeeper. He, he did well. He was fantastic in the game against New England. Yeah. I mean, um, he's, he's in form also right now. Like, maybe not an elite goalkeeper, but he's playing super well right at this he moment is, also. So. He is. Seven shutouts now. He's, he's never had that many in a single season. So, I, I think he's, he's, he's good. Um, and I remember chatting to somebody, I think it, who was it? it was an agent or... or Somebody a, a couple of a uh, couple of weeks before the season started. This is seems like an eternity ago, um, and and he was saying this is a, um, an individual that deals with um, with international players coming into the league, and he was saying 
um, the one piece of advice that he'd given a lot of Major League Soccer managers, particularly those on expansion teams over the course of the last 18 months, was that you simply cannot uh, have enough MLS experience in your team when you are an expansion team. And I think Nashville SC have, have really taken that advice to heart. Mm-hmm. Not only have they gone and, and got Zimmerman and Romney, two uh, very good centre-halves who have a boatload of MLS experience, They've also gone and done that ahead of them and, and, and gotten one of the best sixes that MLS has ever had in Dax McCarthy um, for the expansion season as well. You know, can you imagine yeah. if, if, if Minnesota would have had uh, McCarthy or, or Alonso in the expansion year? It would have been a completely yeah. different team. Yeah. So, um, I mean, they, I almost, they, they almost did in Sam Cronin, except he couldn't finish the... I mean, he's, he could have been that. In a lot yeah. of ways, except if not for his his health issues that sort of curtailed his career, because he looked like that when he came in, like that guy yeah. who was going to be the six and sort of hold everything down and like lift the lift the whole back line and keep everything together. But it, obviously, it didn't, it didn't pan out that way. But yes, yeah, certainly having absolutely. a Jackson Carter would be great. I, th- I think having a solid foundation in your expansion year is um, it, it cannot be underrated. You know, um, so I think they look good defensively. As you said, the only thing is they need now, they need to score more goals. And uh, I think it's 11 goals all year. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not yeah. enough. Um, Dominic Baji offers you something. Abu Dunladi, as we know, off- offers you a little extra uh, off the bench. Um, but the, the new lad that they're bringing in, Cadiz, um, he reminds me of uh, a goal-scoring Angelo Rodriguez. Um, he's a big body. He's a target man who will allow them to play direct when they want to. Um, and, and I could very easily see them having Leal and Muel either side of him um, and uh, maybe going a 4-3-3. That, that, I think that would suit them moving forwards. Um, but I, 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 from what I've seen, I, I like the lad Cadiz. I think he, um, I'm not sure he's going to score a boatload of goals, but there's a reason why he plays for Benfica. He's, he scored some goals in, in previous loan spells, you know, but, but I think more than anything, he allows them to go direct. And they, they look a decent expansion outfit, for sure. And as you quite rightly say, Steve, they, they look a little better than into Miami, which is a sentence I don't think any of us thought we would after in this season. You know, there was so much expectation for into Miami coming in. And now yeah. with the signings of uh, Matuidi and, and Gonzalo Higuain, um, there's expectation there. Um, so I, uh, I was impressed by Nashville. I, I thought, the opening uh, 20 minutes of the game was, was about as fast and fluid of, a, of an opening of a game that we've seen all season. I, I must admit, I really enjoyed calling those opening 20, 25 minutes. Um, yeah. And there were chances all over the place. Um, but uh, look, I mean, I, I think any time you can go on a road and get a point in this league, especially when, when you are doing what you're doing and travelling down on, on the same day, uh, I, I think it's a good thing, you know, and, and, and a if you can claim three points anywhere right now with the way that things are, I think it's an added bonus. I really do. And it's the same for everybody, Steve, but that doesn't mean it's not difficult. Yeah. I mean, I think that you're, you know, the talking about inter Miami and how Nashville has looked better overall, Cal, that the, it's interesting because I mean, I think inter Miami was playing a high variable, variable, you know, wider gap in what was potentially could happen versus what would happen, um, which is a risky thing. I think their, their tolerance for risk was higher. Nationals was a little more conservative, like probably a higher floor, but a lower ceiling. But then this season happening, the way it's happened is like, you know, if, if, if the season had been a normal season, I could have seen Inter-Miami working a lot better, um, more consistency, more time to put their pieces together, uh, you know, sort of growing that. They have not had that. Nashville, like you said, came in with a lot of MLS experience on the roster and just sort of an expectation of like, well, we're not going to score a ton, but we're going to not give up a ton. And that's and that's what they've done. So uh, speaking of not giving up a ton, 
Um, the last thing I wanted to mention about Nat, that game against Nashville, I don't, I don't really want to say that. I don't think that Dane St. Clair is being overlooked exactly in terms of the conversation about, you know, in, in MLS right now. I mean, I see stories about, uh, you know, the, the three things to take away from, from the, that game and saying that his performance was particularly good. But I think I've been thinking that like heading into the future, given that the 2020 season, it's like a complete as absolute carnage to, to borrow a phrase from you. Um, it might be that the biggest thing Minnesota United gets out of the 2020 season is the emergence of a possible first choice goalkeeper here at the age of, you know, 23. Like, I mean, if he plays, if he plays the rest of the season at the level that he's at, which isn't totally guaranteed, you know, I think that we've seen from players from Mason Toy to Abu Dunlady, like young players can have up and down phases and that learning to manage that is a huge part of sort of maturing as a player. So I, I can fully expect him to go through a rocky patch at some point. But if sort of if what we're seeing right now is more or less like his floor for performance and he's going to improve from that point, like, is there any reason to think you would want to bring in another keeper to put ahead of him? I mean, you know, like in the future, are you just saying like, if this is his floor, this is our guy? I think it's, it's going to be extremely difficult for the coaching staff of Minnesota United to look elsewhere moving forwards. Um, you have to ask yourself, you know, what is the situation with Tyler Miller moving forward, you know? And, and, and you're quite right, Steve, in, in saying that, you know, it, it's been a good spell for Dane St. Clair, but it's been a short spell as well. The real question is, can he do this over a 34-game season? And, and the answer is we, we don't know at the moment. Um, so are the coaching staff willing to take that risk and, and go with him next season? Um, or are they going to go with, with the more um, solid and, and veteran presence of, of Tyler Miller? We don't know. But the good thing is, is that they've got options. Um, we know Ranjit Singh is, is a decent backup goalkeeper as well. Um, I, I think, I'll be honest, Steve, it's the one area where I don't really worry for Minnesota United, um, it, it, the goalkeeping area. Um, and I, I'd say Stuart Kerr, the goalkeeping coach, has got to be given some serious credit for this as well because um, Dane St. Clair... I remember watching him train last year and seeing him from then to how he is now, Stuart Kerr deserves so much praise because he's clearly worked with him on several different things. His, his distribution still needs a little bit of work, I think, but his positioning is very good. He gets across very quickly. Um, shot stopping has been wonderful. The one save he made from uh, Randall Leal's effort from the edge in the, in the first half was magnificent. Yeah, um, he gets down very, very quickly now where, where I'm not convinced that was the case prior um, to, to him really working consistently with Stuart Kerr. So, um, as I said, Steve, it's the one area that I don't really worry about. But there's one thing for sure. If Dane St. Clair keeps up this form, it is going to be a head-scratching moment for Adrian Heath moving forward because um, right now, essentially, he's got two... Given the way that Dane St. Clair has performed, essentially now he's got two first-choice goalkeepers. Yeah, I mean, again, and we don't know anything about what 2021 is going to look like, like how soon it's going to happen, um, you know, for MLS and everything like that. I mean, I, I, my feeling is that if Dane essentially maintains this form for the rest of the season, you got to say you're the incumbent goalkeeper, um, you know, and, and put him in there. And then if, if, if he struggles, then you've got Tyler Miller. You put Tyler, you know, it's like, it, again, Adrian Heath, I'm sure it's a tough choice to make, but he loves to have players push each other for positions and that's essentially what's happening here all right let's let's shift to talking about fc dallas um well 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 hmm. it isn't these guys um fc dallas <laughs> uh i was looking back at the form uh guide on mlssoccer.com which is one of my favorite uh pages now uh it helps because i can't remember 
what any other team has done or when any other team has played or anything like that anymore. So um, over the last eight games for Minnesota United and FC Dallas, they have the exact same record. They're both three, two, and three. And then over the last three, it's a, it's a, a loss and two draws for Dallas and a draw, a win, and a draw from Minnesota. So, you know, it sort of feels like to me, I don't know what to make of LAFC because they should be a lot better than they are, but they're not that great. So I'm sort of leaving them out of this conversation for right now. But it seems, it seems sort of highly possible that as with last year, MNUFC is basically in that class of FC Dallas, Colorado, Real Salt Lake, somewhere in that group. Um, I would put them toward the top of that group, but I also am, they also pay me to say that. So, um, but I, I mean, it, it, I, 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 we've talked before about what Minnesota United's ceiling is that we think they could be a, t- a top three team, maybe not a top team, but a top three team in the Western conference, depending on health, uh, taking a slightly more cynical view. I just feel like that's going to be the dogfight in there. It's going to be Minnesota United, Dallas, Colorado, Real, Salt Lake. If somebody's hot at the end, they could be at the top. If it stays the way it is, Minnesota United is likely to be at the top of that. Um, but, you know, I feel like Minnesota United and Dallas right now, not much separating them in terms of how their seasons have gone and what the results are. The only thing separating them is the fact that FC Dallas will be playing in Frisco, Texas again. Sure. Yeah. Minnesota are owned when they go down to... Uh, Sales Stadium. Um, it's a place they've always struggled. It's a place where they've never really been able to, to get into a rhythm. Safa Pico, as we saw earlier on this year, has, has caused problems for Roma Mixinier. Um, that'll be interesting to see how that particular duel goes. I wonder, because I can't imagine Adrian Heath saying to, to Mixinier be a little more reserved today because Mixinier is, is essentially a part of, of the attack when they move forward. You know, he's, he's so fluid going forwards. Um, but what do you do? Because we saw in the last game, Mitsunir was was run ragged by Papa Pico. Let's let's call a spade a spade here, you know. And mm-hmm. um, I, I do wonder what um, what's going to happen there. Um, and I think uh, Dallas have. Um, I, I saw the highlights for their last game. I'm looking forward to watching them this evening against Houston Dynamo. Um, but the the three players that they have behind Frank O'Hara. Um, who we're still not sure, is he, is he Argentine? Is he Irish? We're not entirely sure, are we? Frank um, O'Hara. Oh, <laughs> He's the poet. Frank O'Hara is one of my favorite poets. So. Frank O'Hara um, has benefited from, from the service of the new number 10 that they've brought in um, from Colombia, Ricalte, uh, and Pico and Barrios behind him. Um, they are menacing. They can cause real problems. So... Um, they're a good team. They're a really good team. Uh, don't get anywhere near the credit they deserve. I think Lucio Gonzalez has done a really good job with them. Did you see last week as well, Steve? They signed their 30th homegrown player from the academy. I mean, it just, you know, it's insane. And it's, it's a great fabulous. territory. I mean, Texas is yeah. a great territory for soccer. It is. And it's fabulous for US soccer as well yeah. to, to have the ability to do that um, and, and to churn out these young players. And, you know, uh, let's not forget, it was the FC Dallas Academy that, that churned out Weston McKinney, who, who's now a Juventus player. So, you know, it's um, it, it's just the way they do things. And, and I feel as though they, they deserve all the plaudits. I just don't think they get anywhere near the credit they deserve. They're a much better team than people give them credit for. It's a tough place to go. I don't know what the temperature is going to be because it's obviously October, but I can't imagine it's going to be the roaring heat of 110 or anything like that anymore. I, I'm assuming it'll be... 80 degrees, maybe. I'm not entirely sure, but um, it's a tough one. And I wonder if Minnesota will have to be a little more reserved um, and, and be a little more defensive-minded. I, I don't know. 
Um, but I'll tell you now, Steve, if you offered me a point, I would take it away at FC Dallas right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think that as much as we would all like to see three points from from every game whenever possible, I think realism says we should you know be satisfied with with a point, especially against a tough opponent on the road in a place that's been difficult. Uh, yeah, I hope it's not that hot, uh, but I don't know, Dallas. It could, it could, you could get a heat wave. So um, the last thing I wanted to say about this game, uh, I would have to go back in time and figure out exactly where this trend stopped from Minnesota last year. But there was a span of time where Minnesota was like, the record was 5-4-3 and then 6-5-4 and then 7-5-6 and then 8-7-6. Like it was always counting down like through the, through the record. Um, recently, Minnesota was 5-4-3 again. Uh, and are now six five and four. I mean, they were six five and four, and then the draw. So now they're six five and five. So based on this trend, I, I'm going to predict. I'm going to predict a loss against Dallas, but then a win against Chicago to keep up the. Uh, then it'll be seven six five. So that's uh, that's 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 my call right now for the. Uh, for the yeah, um, I I would say you're 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 you have every right to make that prediction. Um, I, I don't think you're uh, too far off the mark. Um, but I do think um, I think there's every reason to believe Minnesota can go and get something in Dallas for sure. But then, as you quite rightly said, then Stephen, and we we have said it on on the Fox Sports North broadcast now for a long time, the home games are absolutely vital, and the, the home games against Chicago and Houston, um, it, you know, the home wins are becoming compulsory now. They really are. You, you have to. Um, so we know Minnesota have perhaps got a little bit of ground to make up because they didn't have as many home games as, as a lot of other people did. Uh, it took them a long time to, to be given that right, um, for whatever reason. Uh, the nil-nil draw at home to RSL will sting a little bit, I think. So I think now they need to go out and uh, I think the pressure's on. And I think that's okay, um, especially at this level of football. It, it, it's fine. So I think they'll, they will take what they can away at FC Dallas, knowing that the next two games against Chicago and Houston are, I think when we get to it, they will be the biggest games of the season so far. Yeah, sounds about right. Well, thanks for joining us for the 116th Sound of Balloons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Sunday, October 11th at 7.30 p.m. as the Loons head to Texas to face FC Dallas. You can watch that on Fox Sports North and listen on Score North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliamsCom and me at Steve Ventress, where I have a viral tweet, which is beginning to dog me. Um, it's just beginning to make it hard to follow anything else on Twitter. So it's, I mean, it means nothing. I'm not trying to like, like, I don't care. I will delete the tweet right now. I don't really care. But it's got like 50,000 likes and I just keep seeing likes keep popping up. So it's just, it just makes it a pain in the yeah, your, your mentions are just blowing up, I'm sure. Yeah, wow. That's just silly. So anyways, um, but you can still follow me. I don't know. A lot of people are following me now based on that. I'm like, you're not, it's not always this good. Don't worry. Um, apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember... There's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are.